0: Good morning. I remember once being at a church service and the, the hall was full and there was an overflow room and the overflow room was kind of next door to the church and we were watching everything on a big screen TV and I felt, my goodness, I could have stayed at home and sat on a couch and watched this. So you guys at the back there, I kind of feel like you're the overflow room but you're still in, you're still in the service. Trev, do you feel like you're still part of the service? Cool, it's, is it okay? There's a small wave, Okay. So over the past year or so, probably more than a year, I've been reading through or trying my best to get through the Bible. And um, many years ago, my mom got saved quite radically in a room full of people, probably this size. She was one of the very few who had the courage to stand up and say, I want to give my life to Jesus. And um, needless to say, over the, the next couple of years... Her character and everything began to change, and something in her heart got gripped for the Word of God. And I said to her, Mom, why don't we read through the Bible together? You and I can read through the Bible together. And she said, Great, let's do it. And um, it's always good to read through with somebody, because then you have someone not just who can keep you accountable, but you can actually have a conversation with, and you're going through the Word together. And needless to say, the Old Testament, she said, Ryan, why did God put the Old Testament there? Because the whole thing was really tough to get through, and we're nearly finished now. We're we're close to the end. And her and I have conversations every week about what we've read through, what what do we think God was saying, or what did he do? And it's been an incredible, probably close on two years. And as we got close to the end, just before we finished, I felt God say to me, go and spend more time in Ephesians. So I've been reading through Ephesians, um, I've been doing a little bit of study in Ephesians, I've literally just begun, and you're going to be on that journey with me this morning. Is that okay? So we're going to have a look at Ephesians, um, bits and pieces of it. I've read through, or we're going to read through a whole bunch of it, and then um, we'll draw a couple of practical points at the end. But I wanted to ask you this question this morning. What is the most expensive present you've ever received? Does it come to mind straight away? Even the value, value in dollars if you've just shopped on Amazon or eBay. What is the best present you've ever received? Is it the same as the most expensive present you've ever received? Or they're two different things? And Dan made mention uh, last week about a present that was received pretty close to home. Um, you guys can put up the picture. This is the Salvador Mundi. This is the painting that was sold just probably over a week ago in the past little while at Christie 's. And I was thinking, this is probably one of the most expensive presents ever given to somebody else. The bidding for this painting started at $200 million, and it landed on $400 million, and the the guy who bought it had to pay $50 million in fees. And apparently, I'm told that this is not bidding like back in the day where someone would have a little card, or he'd pull his ear, or up his, and then that was the sign, okay, going it wasn't like that. It was very telephonic, very new age. And um, I thought to myself, can you imagine the conversation that took place? There would have been a whole bunch of things being auctioned. No, I don't want that one. No, I've already got 10 of those. No thanks. No thanks. No thanks. What's the last thing? The last thing that comes up. It's a painting. Okay, I've got a couple of paintings. It's a Da Vinci. You're kidding me. It can't be a Da Vinci. No Da Vinci is owned personally. No one personally owns a Da Vinci painting. No one in the whole world. There are about 20 of them. No one personally owns it. I want it. But boss, the bidding starts at $200 It's okay. It's okay. Maybe maybe it'll be a low ball one. Maybe we'll get it for two hundred and ten. Okay, go two hundred and ten. Two hundred and ten million, not two hundred and ten dirhams. Two hundred and ten million dollars. Okay, go with it. Go with it. It's just gone over three hundred million. Carry on going. Carry on going. It carries on going. By the way, what's the picture of? It's a picture of Jesus. Carry on going, it's, it's, it's sounding better, it's sounding better, the only one I want it. it's the only one I want it. What's Jesus doing in the picture? Well, he's got his two fingers up in the air, kind of looks like a peace sign, and he's holding something in the other hand. Does it look amazing? Does it look like it's worth hundreds of millions of dollars? Well, to be honest, boss, no one in the world owns one, so you would be the only one to own one. Okay, I don't care what the price is, you make sure that painting comes to me. 400 million, Boss, $400 million, I can think of 400 million things that you could do with that amount of money. Are you sure you want to do this? I don't care what the price is, it's worth every cent. Can you imagine those profound words? I thought if I was in that room, the gospel just got preached. The gospel just got preached by two people who probably don't know Jesus, but they're about to buy a painting of him. Incredible, isn't it? It's incredible. So what you see there, if you're an art critic, I'm not much of an art critic, but what is supposed to be in that painting is Jesus wearing kind of Renaissance clothing, which he wouldn't have dressed in, right? And his two fingers like that are supposed to kind of symbolize a blessing. And what you'll see in his other hand, is you, and you can't really see that, is he's holding an orb. The orb is supposed to be significant to the cosmos, everything created, So in one hand, we have blessing. In one hand, we have everything that is created. In the middle between those two things, we have Jesus, painting called Savior of the world, Savior of everything created. Isn't it amazing that that just took headlines across the world, and it's moving very close to home. If you go off to the Louvre in Abu Dhabi, I think it's supposed to be there. I don't think it's there yet, but I'm, I'm quite excited to go and see what it looks like. And the reason why I tell you this as an introduction is because what we're reading or what we're gonna read now in Ephesians has to do with God's blessing in Jesus. And when Dan made mention of the, of the painting, I thought, oh, don't mention the painting because I wanna use this. This is literally what I've been reading. This is literally what God has been speaking to me about, about the blessing that comes when Jesus is your focus. And this comes across to the Middle East. Now, perhaps i walk in there and the guy who owns it sees me and has a dream and says, you, you, do you want the painting I probably wouldn't hang it up at home because I'd probably hang it skew, but I'd probably get rid of it for 350 million if there's anyone interested. All right, so what we're gonna do now is we're going to read um, Ephesians 1 verse 3 before we start to read it. From Ephesians 1 verse 3 to chapter 2 verse 10. Your Bible and my Bible has 12 sentences laid out in front of us, but in the original Greek, Paul spoke this all as one sentence. And I kind of thought to myself, well, how would he speak this all as one sentence without getting carried away? I felt like I'd say, he was so wrapped up in who Jesus was that the spirit inside of him just carried on going, and he carried on going, and he carried on going, and he carried on going. How do you speak about Jesus or proclaim Jesus and say everything you need to say in one sentence? So we're going to read this together. Is that good? It's gonna be a chunky bit, and I'm gonna read it quite quick because this feels like his flow of going through it, kind of like, you know, when you're speaking about something and you're almost running out of words because you've got so much to say about it. So chapter one and verse three, let's read together. It says, "'Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, "'who has blessed us in the heavenly realms "'with every spiritual blessing in Christ. "'For he chose us in him before the creation of the world "'to be holy and blameless in his sight.'" In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be into effect... When the times will have reached the fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance in the, until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Are you still with me? For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking, God, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which you have been called, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and power, or sorry, all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything in the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Not there yet. This is the awesome part. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit which is now at work at those who are disobedient." All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying our cravings, or the cravings of our sinful nature, and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in every or in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that the coming ages might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus, for it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Amen? Didn't that kind of feel like Paul was preaching? It's not an easy thing to read that and just read it like a story. That kind of felt like he was proclaiming something that really has to hit you right in the center. And this is the interesting thing about this portion of scripture is that it is broken up into two parts, He speaks about our new life in Christ, but he breaks it up into the first part, which is praise, and the second part, which is prayer. And I stumbled onto this a couple of weeks ago, and it was during church where I felt felt God say, you need to share this, and I couldn't find it in the Bible. I was looking through, I was looking through, I was like, God, you want me to share it? Just show me, abracadabra, is it there? Abracadabra, is it there? I couldn't find the scripture. And then later, when I started to prepare my preach, I literally landed on this book, And I started to read this, and I felt like I'd say, this needs to be prepared properly so that you can share it with intention. And it's not just a quick sentence. It is actually a pattern that I'm showing you. And it's amazing how when you read the Word, God shows you different patterns in in His Word. And this is the interesting thing. I'm going to give you the punchline permanently the whole way through, which probably isn't the best way to preach. You normally save the punchline for the end. But God is speaking to me about this. He was saying that sometimes before you approach me with your prayer, before you approach me with your list of things, before you approach me with your problems, you need to approach me with praise. Because Paul approaches God with praise. And when you approach God with praise, it's to look on him in who he is, who his nature is. And very often when we approach God with, with even with prayer, God, would you do this? God, would you do that? God, would you do this? There is a pleading that comes out of our hearts But do we know who we're approaching? Does your soul recognize who we're approaching? People often say, do you have faith for that? Do you have faith for this? Do you have faith to see God move? Well, if you want to have faith, approach God in praise first. Who is he that you're approaching? So the first part consisting of praise, Paul speaks about how God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And the second part in prayer, he asks the the, the, we ask God, God, would you help us to understand, would you help us to grasp the fullness of that blessing? And this is very interesting. Here where he says our spiritual blessing starts with being in Christ, very often he says they're being in Christ. That phrase, being in Christ, scholars say is the same phrase used when God speaks about Israel. Remember Israel in the Old Testament was God's chosen people, his possession, remember? That phrase, being in Christ, they say, is so similar to that phrase of Israel referred to as God's chosen people, his possession. Isn't that an amazing parallel? How God doesn't just call you to be part of the church. God doesn't just call you to be the church. God doesn't just call you to be his chosen people. God calls you and me to be his possession. God calls you and I to be under his almost ownership whenever we think ownership, we kind of think no one owns me. I'm my own person. I can do what I want when I want. And I couldn't imagine if my two-year-old comes home from History Makers Sunday School and says, Dad, you don't own me. I'll do what I want when I want. But right now, her best place to be is under ownership from her mom and her dad. And I often get to watch how. Lauren speaks to Emma, and the way Lauren actually is growing Emma up in knowing who Jesus is, and I liken that to, well, God is growing me up because I'm his possession to know who Jesus is, not just to know Jesus, but to be like him, and that's the best place for us to be, and friends, you know how you know that you're his? You're marked. It's not a physical marking. It's called the Holy Spirit. The word says that the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within me, makes my spirit alive. And because he makes my spirit alive, my spirit cries out, Dad. And I know that I'm a son. You know that you're a son or a daughter because something inside you has changed. You're marked inside by the Holy Spirit and you know that you're God's possession. Someone asked you this question, why did God choose Israel? Why did he choose you? Why did he choose me? And I thought that was, I thought, wow, that's a deep question. That's... That's a. It can be such a rich answer in that question, and if you turn with me to Deuteronomy, it'll come up behind. Deuteronomy seven, seven to nine tells us the answer. Let's read it together. It says, "The Lord did not set His affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than the other people, for you were the fewest among all people. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept an oath He swore to His forefathers that He brought you out of the mighty hand, that He brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you." from the land of slavery, from the power of the king of Egypt. That was Pharaoh. Know therefore that the Lord God is God. He is a faithful, or he is the faithful God. That's Elohim. Keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. So God chose you and he chose me, not because of anything we had done, not because we were more numerous, not because we had done anything well, not because we had studied, not because we had earned anything, but simply because of his loving kindness. It's an incredible thing how when you praise God, your focus turns off yourself and it turns onto him. And as soon as your focus turns onto him, things change. This is quite, this is an amazing quote. I can't, I I don't have the person who quotes it, but he said, God's desire for Israel was that they would go and teach the others about him. Israel was not meant to be a nation on its own. It was meant to be a nation of priests, prophets, and missionaries to the world god 's intent was that Israel would be a distinct people, a nation who pointed others towards God, and the promised provision of the Savior, Messiah and redeemer and I try to come up with a cool phrase, and this is the best I could do when our praise is centered around Jesus, we understand our position, then we can pray because very often we can approach God in pity of God, will you help me in my situation?" if our praise is centered on Jesus and we realize who we are, friends, it does not matter what debt you lie in. It does not matter where your relationships are. It does not matter what your family looks like. It does not matter where your current situation is or what's right in front of you. But if you realize who Jesus is and what he's done for you, you can stand before him, not arrogant, but realizing that it's his power that pushes you through. It's his power that pushes you through. Can you nod your head? Does that make sense? Amen. So I think the title of this preach is called Adventure of a Lifetime. I didn't come up with it, I stole it from a Coldplay song. (laughs) But my question to myself was this, whose adventure is it? Whose adventure, who's on the adventure? And whenever we get to the end of a year and the start of a new year, it's time to make New Year's resolutions, am I right? It's time to start joining a new gym contract It's time to start getting rid of the things that you didn't actually need, the things you don't want. It's time to put goals and plans in place for what you want to do in the new year. What do you want to achieve? It's time to better position yourself to live a better life. If you're one of those positive types of Instagram people, it's time to change your status. Here's a few that you could consider. Positive mind, positive vibes, positive life. Create your own sunshine. Why be moody when you can shake your booty? Is that yours last week? Is that mine last week? Eat your spaghetti and forget your regretty. These are real, guys. These are real. Please don't amen any of them. These are real things people post. Stop stopping yourself. What does that even mean? The secret to having it all is believing that you already do. Be a flamingo in a flock of pigeons. Could you picture that in your head? Okay, I'm gonna. So what that would look like, I'm guessing, is that there's a group of people standing right and you don't want to feel like you're either the one out or you want to make an impression. So you walk to the group of people. Hey guys. And then do you... <laughs> what? What do you... What? What is that? And the last one is focus on the good. And I felt like Focus on the good. This is all such like rubbish. It's absolute rubbish. Whatever happened to focus on God? Whatever happened to actually taking this book over here and going, well, let me find my positive view. Let me try to find how am I gonna look at life through a different perspective or set of glasses? Whatever happened to using this thing? Did it become corny or lame? Did it not sound as cool? Forgetty, spaghetti, regretty, What? Did that, it doesn't make any sense, friends. It, it doesn't matter how positive your language is, it means nothing if there's no power behind it. So try this out. This is cool. Here are some positive Instagrams that are going to go around. So this one says God who is rich in mercy has made you alive in Christ. God who is rich in mercy. God who loves to spend time with you, regardless of who you are or what you've done, has made you alive in Christ, you, you personally. Isn't that amazing? Is it a bit weird when he comes off the stage with the mic? Sorry if I feedback, Teddy. Here's the next one. Can I stay here? You don't mind? It says, God is showing you the incomparable riches of his grace. You might be here today and you might think, God hasn't shown me much. I just had Christmas. Most of my presents were a little bit of a downer because he didn't give me what I thought he was going to give me. So I'm kind of feeling like I need something. Is there anyone like that in the room? I'm kind of looking for a head nod. <laughs> but he's shown you something worth more than a painting, $450,000. Who even knows? $450 million, sorry. Who, who knows what that is in Durham's? Billions? Millions and millions and millions and millions? He's shown you the incomparable riches Of his grace. God has expressed his loving kindness to you in Christ Jesus. It's not often that someone will send you a gift just to say hi. It's not so often that someone would die for another person as a gift. But God in his loving kindness sent Jesus to die for you. And that's why you sit in this building today, because there's something in your heart that's resonated with God's loving kindness to send someone to die for you. Don't worry, I I don't have for everybody, but I have a few. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him. There's something in you that's authority. Friend, authority exists in you because of Jesus. If you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you, and you believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again, there's authority that exists there, and he's given that authority to you. Amen. I'm just going to bypass the grief. Sorry, guys. You are God's workmanship. Even if you gym a whole lot and you run and you try to get fit, it doesn't matter what you do physically, you are God's workmanship because he made you. You were created in Christ for good works. Who goes to work for a living? Who goes to work for a living? God gave you that job here in Dubai. He's brought you to City Lights for a specific reason. You didn't just get here because your boss decided it was a good idea to hire you. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's a gift from God. Amen? For by grace you have been saved through faith. I found this quite an incredible quote. Bill Johnson says that faith doesn't deny the problem's existence, it denies its influence. You see, you're in trouble when your center of your world moves off Jesus and it moves to something else. It moves to your job, it moves to addiction, it moves to your circumstances, it moves to finances, it moves to relationships. When that becomes the center of your world, then you know you're in trouble. Friends, faith doesn't say that my problems don't exist, that things aren't tough, Faith says that it does not have an influence over me because Jesus is my center. Just like Paul proclaimed for 12 sentences. I thought by the end of that, people must have been like, oh my goodness, is he gonna carry on going or is he gonna actually stop? You see, this adventure that you're on, that I'm on, is not ours first. The adventure is God's adventure. We get to join him on it. So as you look into a new year, You've got to look with the inside of God. I cannot wait to be on this adventure with you. God, I cannot wait for what you've got planned. Friends, some of us are sitting here today. I'll get there in a moment. Sorry, I'm jumping ahead. Last two things, and then we're going to close with a bit of practical points. It's incredible how Jesus had such an effect on the world. And I I heard someone say this. He was 33 years old. Most of us know that. He had three years of ministry. He died at 33. Most of us know that he wasn't educated, so he was, in fact, a carpenter. But what many of us don't know is that he never traveled more than 160 kilometers from his home. He never actually went further than 160 kilometers from where he grew up, from Bethlehem or Nazareth. And yet the shockwave that he has sent through the world has changed time, forward and backward. You'd almost say it's, it's wrecked history, but the Bible would say it's turned the world the right way up. So let me ask you this question. How would you react if he walked into the door right now? If Jesus had to walk through that door and you were standing in front of him, you don't have to be in a crowd of people, but what would you say to him? Would you ask him questions? Jesus, why did that happen? Why did this happen? Why am I in this? Why is this? You know? Would you ask him, what's going to happen next week? Am I going to win the lottery? I've been playing it for like 20 years. Just let me win once. I'm not that greedy. You know? Or would you be caught in the gaze of who he is? And just like Paul, you'd be able to stop yourself because either you'd be speechless or you'd have unreserved praise because of who he is. You know, I'm 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 trying my best. The whole point of, of of when I wake up is let me first be captivated by Jesus. And it's not a it's not a girl thing, men. Can I speak to men for a moment? It's it's not a, a it's not a lady with a diary. That is not what we talk about when we say captivated. Jesus helps me lead my home. Jesus helps me make really difficult decisions in my job. Jesus helps me when I have to be in confrontation. I was talking about this with Claire the other day. We were saying it's so easy to be in confrontation. But because we know Jesus, that confrontation stops straight away. And immediately the confrontation stops. What's different about you? Well, I know Jesus. That's what's different about me. Jesus helps you lead your home, men. Jesus helps you lead your relationships. If you're not in a relationship, Jesus helps you be the best you can be for his kingdom because that's what he's designed you for. He helps you be the man you need to be. Everything else is smoke and mirrors. So I'm gonna finish with this. Neha, can you come up, please? Ephesians 4, to 24 says the following. It says, you were taught... With regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, to put on your new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And this scripture works in parallel with another scripture in Colossians where it asks you to take off things. And it says, put off And most of us think it's practices, like don't be angry, don't fight, don't swear, blah, blah, blah. But he's actually talking about deeper things. He's talking about anger and rage. He's talking about underlying issues that happen in your art. He's not just saying don't do things that are wrong. He's saying how do you think? How is your attitude and your emotion? And that's not what I want to focus on. I don't want to focus on the putting off. I want to focus on the putting on of Jesus but I almost brought all my work shirts and all my pants and tried to put them all on because there's only so much stuff you can put on. Then eventually you can't put anything else on. And putting something on is very intentional, isn't it? If you have to put on your shirt, does it just land on your body? You have to intentionally pick it up and put it on. You have to intentionally button it up. To put something on is very intentional. You took part in it and so did I. But God is saying that you can take that thing off. And to take that thing off is very intentional as well. If you're wearing a tie and a shirt, to take that off actually means pulling the tie off. I love nothing better at the end of the day than pulling off my tie. It's actually physically taking it off and to unbutton that shirt and to take it off. God is saying, friends, that many of us in the room have stuff we have to take off this morning. In order to look into a new year and see the goodness that He has for us, sometimes you have to look past What's gone wrong in this past year? But you actually need to take off what's inside your heart. You need to take off an attitude. You need to take off a thought pattern. You need to take off a different way that you see God because of perhaps hurt, because of something that hasn't gone your way. Someone asked you to stand to your feet. will finish with this anyway I felt like God say to me some of us have put on the wrong things we can put on the right words we can put on the right actions but actually what we're wearing is not what he has designed us to wear and I, I got two pictures that I, w- I wasn't going to show you but I'll show you not for the point of humor please understand that I know I, I do love humor within a preach but what I'm about to show you is not so that you can see the humorous side of it it's to show you that actually when you're putting something on that shouldn't be on you It doesn't work practically. It doesn't even look good. Your thinking is, what on earth is that? So ladies, you can show those first two pictures. Looks ridiculous, right? Could you imagine wearing that somewhere? Could you imagine wearing that suit somewhere? How impractical. But many of us put on things that we don't actually need to put on in a remedy to try and fix what actually only God can fix friends as we're moving into a new year there's something where there's a there's a good start and there's a false start the false start to a race is you thinking you've done something when you haven't actually tried you haven't put in there's no action to what you need to do the good start is the action before it happens we have a moment where there can be a good start and i'll show you the third one that you need to put on this is the act of worship that is where your praise and your, the fixing of your eyes is on Jesus and that changes everything. So I wanted to share this with you. Perhaps if this is you, you can put your hand up and then we're going to pray. Probably yesterday or the day before, I had the most strange feeling in my ears. It's kind of like where you go up an elevator really fast and you need to pop your ears. Like the atmosphere has changed. Have you had that before? You need to pop your ears. I had that for two days. And I said to Lauren, I don't know what's going on with my ears. And she said, maybe it's because you went into the sea. I said, I don't think so, because there's nothing in them. But the atmosphere around my ears, it just felt like they needed to pop. And maybe you're a doctor and you know what that is called. And it's solved like that, but it it wasn't solved. I couldn't pop my ears. I couldn't equalize. And I felt God say to me, he's going to release something over us today where we will be able to unblock our ears and hear him. Even last night, I went to sleep and I, I, I... couldn't shake the feeling God what is going on with my ears are you trying to show me something and I woke up this morning before this word and I felt like God say I'm going to open something and it's gone and I'm not super spiritual but there is something where you hear the voice of God because he's leading you which changes everything right right it changes everything you cannot be the same the voice of God is irresistible and when your eyes are fixed on Jesus your path is not the same so we'll give a moment for people who don't know Jesus but I'm asking if you feel like God needs to open your ears so you can hear where he wants to move you to to join him on the adventure can you nod your head for me? can you nod your head? I'm not going to ask you to do anything crazy I just want to pray for you that God would open up your ears because when your ears are open to hear him you feel him speaking to your heart man life changes regardless of what's happening around you so would you close your eyes? if you want to lift your hands, you can. And here we have a moment, friends, to quieten your hearts. And you know, you never paid $450 million just for a picture of Jesus, but you got the real thing for free. You got the real thing for free. And that picture will hang on some wall, and perhaps people will ask questions about it, but the real thing, the real Jesus living inside of you, friends, is power that no amount of money can buy so would you ask him this morning ask him to fill your sight ask him to fill your gaze ask him to open your ears to what he's saying to you Lord Jesus there is a, this is such an amazing journey that we get to be on with you And God, as we finish one year and we move to another, God, we felt your call in our hearts. That's why we're here. And God, we know you have an inheritance to take us into, God. We're walking towards something incredible. But God, for all that time in between, God, we want to feel your presence. We want to hear your voice. We want to move forward because of you. like Jesus is opening people's ears this morning. If he's given you a picture, or he's taking your mind somewhere, don't doubt